it's traumatizing actually to subject yourself to the heartache of the entire planet. You, you actually aren't meant to know what the death count is in Delhi right now. You're, you're not supposed to know that. That's, the human soul is not God. We're not, you know, able to sustain these things. Welcome to the Renovare podcast, a place for honest conversations about interactive life with God. I'm Nathan Foster, and my guest today is author John Eldridge. In John's new book, Get Your Life Back, Everyday Practices for a World Gone Mad, he shares a number of simple spiritual practices to help bring a sort of practical order to your life. I spoke with John over video chat from his home in Colorado. Hi, John. Hey, how are you? You know, I think I'm okay. It's a nice day out today, isn't it? Yeah, it's gorgeous. I'm liking it. Uh, your book, Get Your Life Back, Everyday Practices for a World Gone Mad. Why? What, what, what was the impetus behind this book? Well, there was mine and there was God's. <laughs> okay. Uh, my, my impetus, we care, we care for a lot of people. I've been a Christian counselor for almost 30 years and and this was, I would, this was written prior to the pandemic. So that's an important piece of the story. Uh, I just saw modern life frying people, just frying people, you know, way too much time on screens and all the classic stuff. Um, but when you get caught up in a culture, you don't really notice its effects on you. And so I just wanted to bring compassion to people's understanding of, look, you live in a crazy moment in human history and you actually need to take care of your soul because nothing in this moment is going to encourage you to do that. You have to be intentional about it. And that was prior to the pandemic. That was, that was my, my concern. And God's movement in this was the book comes out in February of 2020. <laughs> a and month before, huh? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it was one of many of his kind offerings to people to say, oh, you thought that was bad? <laughs> this is going to be really rough. And, and Nate, I mean, we, we just passed through, we're almost in the second year full year of global trauma. That's right. Natural disasters are global trauma. Pandemics are considered trauma. But people are acting like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. You know, we're fine. We're, we got restaurants back. You know, we, we, you know, the kids are back in school, I think, this week. You know, it's, <laughs> um, it's not very kind to the human soul to pretend that this hasn't had a massive impact. And, and so all the more, the question is, how do you practice soul care, good living? How can you adjust your life to accommodate for the recovery that you need and the resilience that you need in, in, a, in a moment like this? I'm glad to hear you reference the pandemic in this way. 
it has really baffled me um, how silent people are in terms of its effects. And I, I don't think we're going to know five, it'll take five or 10 years out of this to realize just some of the ways that it is negatively impacted and in essence in a lot of ways. I wish people talked more about it. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's crazy making to me. I honestly, I, I'm with you. I want to throw a chair through a window. It's like, what are you thinking, folks? Like, so Ed Young the, uh, won the Pulitzer, the journalist, uh, won the Pulitzer for his coverage of the pandemic. Okay. And that got like, that got like two days of coverage, I think. But this was one of the things that he was reporting on was the, the trauma that a global pandemic brings into people's lives and the long-term effects of that. And then, you know, I'm not just a therapist, I'm a Christian therapist. And so I want to bring in the concerns of the kingdom of God here. Vulnerable souls are targets for the enemies further you know, compounding, he likes to dockpile. He likes to further mm. compound, you know, our weariness, our fatigue, our anger, you know, all the, you know, the, the rage that, that you see on the highways right now, right? The, um, he's going to compound all that. So you've got the pandemic, but then you also have, you know, from a biblical perspective, you, you have this global fight for the human heart and nobody's talking about that either. <laughs> like, please, please pay attention to the well-being of your soul because your resiliency, pardon the analogy, your resiliency is your immune system. Hmm. I mean, it literally is physically, emotionally, spiritually. I half wonder if that is our trauma response is to ignore or not really live in reality of how things are affecting us. <laughs> Oh, buddy, you are naming it. This summer, you couldn't get a rental car. Okay. You couldn't get you couldn't get an Airbnb or VRBO. I don't know if you tried. Like you could not. Campgrounds were completely booked. I did notice that one. Yeah, I I was out at remote trailheads to try and get you know some rest, some beauty, kind of the things that recharge my soul. You couldn't get a parking spot at remote trailhead. And I mean, I mean, airports were packed. So this is the trauma response. The trauma response is denial of its effects and then the, the binging, the rush to comfort, self-comforting behaviors. So here's the, here's the text I got this week. A friend of mine says, you're not going to believe this. He says, I, I, there's a Lamborghini dealership in his community and he likes to go in. He'll never, ever own one, but he likes to go in and look at the super cool cars, right? Because mm -hmm. they're awesome. He goes in, there's no cars on the showroom floor. And he thought, oh, I guess they're, they must be closing down the dealership. Or maybe this is the early signs of the supply shortages, you know, kind of thing. The salesman said, no, we can't keep them in. We're selling them like hotcakes. And so what this is, is it's self-comforting behavior because we are desperate for life to be good again. And so we're binging and like, that's some serious binging, right? Playing Lamborghini. <laughs> but we're, we all have our version of it, right? We're binging the self-comforting um, behaviors in order to feel better. That's a trauma response. 
and, and here's what I'm particularly concerned about is that won't work. It, it, it doesn't right. heal the soul. And I think we're set up for some real disappointment. Nay, I really do. I think the next cycle in this is going to be pretty deep disappointment that getting restaurants back didn't heal my soul. Why? What do you think people should do? Well, compassion, kindness towards your humanity. You, you need to allow for the fact that you have diminished capacities right now. And we'll talk about how to handle that in just a moment. But when you live through something, human beings are phenomenal at rallying. Like, way to go, people. We rallied. <laughs> we rallied. We made work work online. We made school work at home. Like, way to go. We rallied. But when you rally, you tap into your reserves in order to rally, in order to surge capacity, that kind of thing. You can't live at that. You, you have to throttle back at some point from the rallying in order to replenish your reserves. So uh, get your life back has a number of practices in it, like get beauty in your life. Get beauty in your life. And I found for me, listening to beautiful choral music. Now, you got to understand, I'm an outdoors guy. Like, I, I want to be in the woods. I want to be out in Moab, mountain biking. I just want, like, that's stuff that makes me come alive. Choral music has not been a part of my repertoire. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like, uh, but I was finding things on Spotify that were, it was suddenly healing to my soul. I just, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes of just listening to beauty. Beauty heals trauma. Nature heals trauma. So like a 20 minute walk outside in the evening, sit on your deck and watch the sunset. The, the, there are very simple practices that replenish and heal the human soul. But what I want to say, Nate, is the mistake that people are making in this moment is you're like, oh, so you're telling me I've got to fit, I've got to fit a little bit more of God into my busy life. That's the mistake we make. And I go, no, no, actually you, you restructure your life around God and the resources that he's bringing you in order to recover from a global traumatizing pandemic. Like he, you can't take this flippantly like, oh, okay. Yeah. I'll say a few more prayers this week. <laughs> it's like, you uh -huh. you adopt practices that are sustainable. Um, it's got to be sustainable. You can't say, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm going to go to mass every day," or "I'm going to," you know. Well, if you can sustain it, um, <laughs> you you adopt practices that are sustainable in order to replenish your union with God, the the resilience of God. I think Nate to be frank, that we are in the moment that the parable of the 10 bridesmaids was foretelling. So whether or not you think we're nearing the end of the age, Jesus has some really brilliant counsel about living through very difficult times. 
And he gives a bunch of that about, don't let your heart be weighed down. Don't let the news get you spun up. You know, you're going to hear wars and rumors of wars and all that stuff. But then he tells this story about 10 bridesmaids who go out to welcome the bridegroom. They all fall asleep. And then the shout comes, hey, he's coming. Bridegroom's coming. They wake up and trim their lamps. But five have run out of oil. And, and that is the tragedy of the story. They have run out. And I think the oil is God. I think the oil is the sustaining presence of God in our humanity. And this is not a moment that you want to run out of that. You don't. <laughs> you don't. You don't. And, and we're close. Like people are really close to being pretty empty, pretty fried, you know, anxiety's up, drug abuse and all that's up, you know, domestic violence is up, suicide's up. Like the human, human condition is pretty spent. And so what I'm saying is the, the warning would be do the things that allow you to tap into the presence of God in your life and renew your reserves of the presence of God, the life-sustaining presence of God in your life. And beauty, nature, stillness, uh, less screen time, I'd say get off the news, frankly. They did a fascinating, this is a, this is a pretty mind-blowing study. So after 9-11, there was a lot of uh, psychological research on trauma um, because that was a, a traumatizing event for the world, especially for the U.S. because the Twin Towers. And here's what they discovered, that the people who simply watched the Twin Towers fall on television had the same PTSD as the people who were on the streets in New York. Wow. Because the human brain does not have the capacity to filter, I'm not there. Like when in, you're watching this live news coverage of this event or even, you know, recorded news coverage, it is traumatized. And, and so what I want to encourage people to do is get out of all that, like get off the news, like basics, five minutes a day, get in, find out if there's been an earthquake in your community, you know, find out if the governor <laughs> changed the restrictions or, you know, get the basics and then get off that stuff because it's traumatizing actually to subject yourself to the heartache of the entire planet. You, you actually aren't meant to know what the death count is in Delhi right now. You're, you're not supposed to know that. That's the human soul is not God. We're not omniscient, you know, able to sustain these things, right? Omnipotent. We can't sustain that. So get off your screen time, you know, limit your screen time. We can't say completely get off, but limit your screen time, get off the news and take up a set of practices in this hour that, that replenish your union with God. I think I'm hearing it instead of coping mechanisms that don't yield fruit or good results, coping mechanisms of sort that bring life, right? The, exactly. These, these practices. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. Helpful. Yeah. I mean, everybody, everybody was binge watching, you know, their shows. And that's okay. There's a place for that. I binge watch my shows. But but um, just notice how you are afterwards. Do you feel renewed or do you just sort of feel a little 
uh, you know, well, gravitate towards the things where you feel renewed. What are the things that renew you? For one person, it's their bike. It's like, oh my gosh, if I'm out on my road bike, I just, oh, I feel so much better. For another person, it's reading. For another person, it's music. Um, but, but then we would add, of course, um, the historic liturgy of disciplines, prayer, silence, stillness. Um, I want to give everybody a really big one. This is one that has saved my life. I call it benevolent detachment. I'm not pissed. I'm not cynical. I'm not angry, but I, I have to let the world go every day. And especially in my, my bedtime prayers, I have to let, I have to let it all go. And in the scriptures are actually really big on benevolent detachment, cast all your cares upon him, you know, because he cares for you. Like there was a, I think the enemy in a very, very brilliant move convinced Christians, followers of Jesus, that to be a truly loving person, you needed to be up to date on just about everything. Like, <laughs> is your chocolate promoting slavery in the world? Is, you know, how big is your carbon footprint? Uh, did you know that the people that make your clothing are actually subjugating their workers? Yeah. And so that felt like, I mean, it just seems so kind. It seems so Christ-like. But again, folks, you can't carry that. Like that is, that's too much information. And so every day, every day, and, and I recommend bedtime, especially if you want to sleep well, you practice benevolent detachment. You let it go. And, and where this happened for me was I would come to Christ in the time of prayer and I'd be asking him a question about something, you know, a trip we needed to take or my aging parents and their care. And he kept saying to me, he kept saying, give everyone and everything to me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 of course, Lord. That's really good. Yes, I do. Now, about my parents, should we move them into this? Way? And he would just repeat it, John, <laughs> give everyone and everything to me. This one practice of benevolent detachment has become so life-giving that we built an app called the One Minute Pause. And we, again, we built this right before the pandemic. It came out, 200,000 people have downloaded this free app. And we're getting all these beautiful letters in now saying, you saved my life like this, because it's, it's music and beauty and the practice of my voice leading you in benevolent detachment. Jesus, one minute. I get one minute, folks. One minute. <laughs> you can do it. And when we were, here's a fun story. When we were building the app, my team said, we really ought to put, let's do a three, a one minute pause, three minute, five minute, and a 10. And I said, guys, there's nobody on this planet that's going to pause for 10 minutes. Nobody does, right? Like this, this spun up world. The 10-minute pause is the second most used pause. The one, the one minute is the most, right? Because yeah. everybody, everybody can do 60 seconds. But the 10-minute is, I just, I'm stunned. And it's because of our moment. It's because of the trauma, the pandemic, politics, the crazy. I think it's because it's reliable. 
like when we take space like that, it, it something changes. I really like the idea of um, benevolent detachment, but how, I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, slave labor and, and some of the um, products. Uh, these are important though. Like how do you detach, but yet use your ability to, to change uh, mm-hmm. for good? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We discover that loving does not mean carry. Okay. I love you. I love you. You do this with people, right? I love you, but I'm not responsible for your well-being. And I'll do what I can to love you. But at the end of the day, Christ is your savior, not me. I, I am not the savior of the world. It, it's actually the practice of humility. <laughs> and I think, I think, yeah, like I actually care about where my food's grown. I care about that stuff and I care about where I shop and, and in those kinds of things. Yeah, I do care about that. But You're not controlled by it. I'm not burdened by it. I'm not letting it break my heart every day. So here's another fascinating study. Um, you may have heard of the British anthropologist Robin Dunbar because he's got this thing called Dunbar's Number that, okay. that got a lot of traction. Anyway, it's uh, not a believer. He's a British anthropologist. He combined two types of research. He, conduct, he, he did a whole lot of research on the size of the typical community down through human history. So David's day, but also the Middle Ages and kind of think, what's the size of the typical community? And then also with the cerebral cortex uh, of the human brain. And he came to the conclusion that human beings are made to live in a community of about 150 people. I have heard this. Yeah. Okay. Here's the important point is, in other words, yes, you care about the heartaches, the losses, the challenges, the trials of of a group of people that would have been the size of your typical church for, you know, almost 2,000 years until technology comes in and suddenly explodes your community into the gazillions, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it's too much information. It, you know, it's just back to, you know, when the wildfires were ripping through Australia. I forget what the actual figure is. It's staggering. I think it was 60 million animals died in those fires in Australia, the big wildfires. That stuff wrecks me. That just wrecks me. I'm a really empathetic guy. And, and so what I have to do is say, Jesus, I just have to turn that over to you. I can't carry it. I can't continue to think about it right now. I pray for mercy. I, I pray for mercy for the world, but I, I let it go. It, it, it's learning to turn things back over into the hands of God and trusting that he is working on behalf of the things you care about. That's how, and that's why I call it benevolent detachment. It's loving, it's kind, it's not cynicism, it's not checking out, right? I'm not going underground. Like, I'm I'm just with benevolence, I am turning these things back over into the hands of God because my soul was literally not designed to carry all of this information, 
Right. That's that's 150 people, right? That we have yeah, the capacity okay. to, to Right, that. right. Okay. And so here's the thing. This is why benevolent detachment is such good news because people are like, oh, you know, you don't understand my life. I don't have margin. And go, yeah, but I can buy you emotional margin. Hmm. I can buy you mental margin through benevolent detachment. And we'd all love a three-month sabbatical at this point, right? I mean, let's just unplug, go someplace really beautiful, just live there for three months, you know. Well, it's not going to happen for most people, but you can find margin in your life. And one of the things that benevolent detachment does is it gives you emotional capacity back and you didn't go anywhere. You just right there in your house. One of the phrases I'll use is trusting people to God, right? Trusting situations. Yep. And as much as I would like to control and manage things, yes, there are some limitations. Yes. Huh? Yeah. And there's really even the act of consecrating your empathy to Christ. See, we have oh, these. Oh, I like that. I like that. We have that. these faculties, right? And we think about, well, I'm going to consecrate, you know, my finances to Christ. And that's a good thing. You know, I'm going to consecrate my gifts to Christ, and that's a good thing. But you also need to consecrate things like your empathy. Yeah, that's helpful. You gave some examples, but what does this look like for you, and what are some of the challenges you face in moving into benevolent detachment? I love to intervene. I love to make a difference in people's lives. It brings me enormous joy and great meaning, brings meaning to my life. But even there, I have to consecrate intervening. I believe that there is no replacement for listening to what Jesus is advising you to do. (laughs) Because we just go off and do stuff like, you know, I'm going to have my folks down for Thanksgiving and go, did you ask Christ if that was a good idea? You know, we're going to, we're going to, Europe's opening up. We're going to, we're going to take a trip. We're going to take the kids and we're going to London. Maybe. Did you ask God about that? (laughs) Uh, Leslie, like John Tip, the, the beautiful, beautiful chapter. It's one of my favorite chapters in one of my favorite gospels. And in Jesus is talking about, you know, the thief comes to steal, but I've come to give you life. Right? My intentions towards you are abundance. Okay. But, but before he says that four times in that one chapter, Jesus says, listen to my voice. My sheep listen to my voice and they follow me. And he's being very frank. He says, look, you live in a dangerous world. There are false shepherds. There are, there's an enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Please, I beg of you, listen to my voice. Listen to my voice. And so learning the practice of hearing the voice of God is one of the most life-changing things you could ever do. Because the, the good news is you don't have to figure it all out. <laughs> Lord, you know, is now the time to start grad school? Is now the time to sell our house? Is now the time to change jobs? You are friends with the smartest person in the world. Ask him. Ask his thoughts. His, get his advice on these things. I mean, this has rescued me 
so <laughs> many times I, I, down on a relational level. You know, we're parenting adult children now. We've got three grown sons. They've married. They're starting their families. And we love it. We, we love being in their lives. Um, and, and there are times when I want to bring something up with them about their choices, their lifestyle kind of thing. But I'll ask Christ. And, and, and he'll rescue me by saying, yeah, not tonight. Not tonight. Let it go, John. Let it go. Or or, or then things like travel, things like joy. You know, I, I, there's been so much joy that's come into my life. Um, my wife wanted to buy e-bikes, you know, the pedal assisted. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we're, we're in our sixties now and she's had two hip surgeries and I get it for her. I get it. Yeah. Okay. E-bikes. But I'm like, no, I mean, it's too much money and we're not getting two. We'll get one, you know? And, I asked Jesus about it. He's like, this is a really good idea. I'm like, what? Lord, these things are expensive. He's like, trust me. And we had so much joy and soul care this summer because she has been a red ride bike for 10 years because of her hip surgeries. And I'm out and bike, but there's no way she can do that with me. But the two of us can get out on the, on the road, just on the pavement. We can find a quiet neighborhood or something. And we've just been riding in the summer. And then you get everything else. You get the beauty, right? You get nature. You get all these other soul restoring things, along with just the joy of riding a bike. And, right, right. And so. And together, so much, right? Together. So much joy, so much rescue has come. This was a long answer to your question of, so how do you practice this? <laughs> I, I do a lot of asking. I do a lot of asking, you know, with opportunities, with challenges of, Lord, what are you saying? What, what, is, what is your advice to me on this right now? And it's, it's, Jesus has opened up more margin in my life than I thought was possible, margin that then allows for soul care. Because you just think certain things are inevitable. You're like, no, 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 you don't understand. We have to go visit my uncle. We have to, you know, go, well, did you ask God? <laughs> like so much stuff in our life feels to us inevitable until we invite Christ in. You go, oh, well, thanks, Lord. That's really good counsel. And part of this involves creating space to hear, yeah. right? A minute is a good beginning to, yeah, to it is. Why do you think so many Christians are hung up on the idea of hearing from God? You know, it's littered through scripture, but for some people, it freaks them out to even consider the idea. Yeah, largely simply because no one's shown them how. I mean, you'd be freaked out to ride a motorcycle unless somebody taught you how to do it. You, you, freaked out to go ski if somebody didn't teach you how to do it. I, I think they, they need some guidance. I think it's just the unknown uh, about it. There are other things that get in the way. I think religion gets in the way that God is way, way, way up in the heavens. Mm. And we forget that, no, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We forget that the um, intimacy that's actually offered to us by the Trinity. We forget that. 
or we weren't taught that. I think disappointment, to be honest, uh, people's disappointment in God. Yeah, but I asked, you know, and he didn't mm -hmm. fill in a lot of stories there. I think disappointment keeps, it, it causes us, it, it, you do this in human relationships, people disappoint you, you pull away. Uh, so we pull away, our hearts pull away from God in our disappointment. And in one of the, I wrote about this in a different book. It's a book I wrote about Jesus called Beautiful Outlaw. Um, but I said that the practice of forgiving God may open up new levels of intimacy with him. So some people need to forgive God for what feels to them that he didn't come through. Yeah. And, and that will get in the way of, of your intimacy with him. You ask, answers don't always come. Yeah. Is that okay? Yep. Yep. Give it time, folks. Give it time. <laughs> Especially on the big questions, because here's what people do. Here, here's the typical. They go, okay, I need to ask God about this. Lord, 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 I am so sick of this job. Can I please quit? With thousand one, thousand two. See, <laughs> I didn't. Right. I didn't think he was going to say thing. And you go, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me let me give you a couple basic principles of listening prayer. The higher the drama, the more difficult to hear. Okay. Give it time. Okay. The lower the drama, the easier to hear the less personally you are involved. So here's the fun thing. If you want to practice listening prayer, do it on behalf of someone else, right? Your friend's like, oh, I don't, I just don't know if this is the right, you know, job for me or if I should date this guy and go, well, it sounds good. It's so much easier to hear on someone else's behalf because you're not all tied up in the drama. Right, so you can do these little practices. I'd say start with very, very simple questions, very small questions that don't have a lot at stake, and you're going to find it to be easier to hear. Like, Lord, um, should we go biking this weekend? Lord, how would you have us spend Thanksgiving? Lord, like start with small questions, and then it, it builds your confidence of, oh, wait a second, I did hear from God, and. And uh, on the bigger high drama stuff, man, give it time. Give God right. weeks to respond. Yeah, wait a month yeah. or two and see what yeah. bubbles up. Yeah, exactly. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And not get too hung up on, uh, I know for me, it, not getting too hung up on doing it right or wrong. or Like I'm learning, right? Yep. And so God's with me in this and we're yep. like anything exploring else. together. Yeah. Yep. It's like learning to play an instrument or drive a car. You had to learn, you had to learn those things. It takes time. Yep. It's a little wobbly yeah. at first. It's helpful. John, thank you for today. I appreciate yeah. all this. It's yeah, really this is delightful. And that was John Eldridge talking about his new book titled Get Your Life Back, Everyday Practices for a World Gone Mad. You can find out more about John and his writing at wildatheart.org. That's wildatheart.org. I'm Nathan Foster, and you've been listening to the Renovare Podcast. Podcasts made possible by donations from people like you. You can support this podcast with a tax-deductible gift at renovare.org slash donate. 
Renovare is a Christian ecumenical renewal effort offering resources and experiences to help people become more like Jesus. You can find articles and other resources at our website, renovare.org. We love hearing your questions or thoughts. Email at renovare.org or tweet at renovare. This podcast is produced by Brian Morricon, who also wrote the opening song titled Be Kind. And until next time, be well, friends. Be well.